Well, today, I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and let's look at verses 43 through 54. This is the second sign. We're studying the seven signs in the Gospel of John. And we know, Lord, we need miracles. And we're learning to see the significance behind the signs. But to uh, give you a taste of what we're going to see in this particular miracle, I want to share with you a story, one of my favorite stories. It's about a man named Jack who was walking along a steep cliff one day when he accidentally got too close to the edge. And on the way down, he fell off this cliff. It's 1,000 feet down, and he grabs a branch. And he's hanging on for dear life. He can't hang on forever. And he starts shouting, just hoping someone's passing by up there. And he's just saying, help, help, is there anyone up there? Help. And he just keeps yelling for a long time and no one heard him. And he was about to give up. His grip was loosening when he finally heard a voice. And the voice said, Jack, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you. I'm down here. Help me, help me. I can see you, Jack. Are you all right? Yes, but who are you? Where are you? And the voice said, I am the Lord, Jack. I am everywhere. The Lord? You mean God? That's me. God, please, I promise, if you'll get me down from here, I'll stop sinning. I'll be really a good person. I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Easy on the promises, Jack. Let's just get you off from there. Then we can talk. Now, here's what I want you to do. Listen carefully. I'll do anything, God. Just tell me what to do. Okay, let go of the branch. What? Let go of the branch. Just trust me. Let go. And then there was this long silence. And then finally you hear, is anybody else up there? Is there anybody else? And that's, I think, you know, I love that story because I can relate to it. And I bet you can relate to it. Haven't we all been there? It's sometimes called foxhole faith. You know, during the war, you're in there, the bullets are flying, and you're like, God, I believe in you, I love you, I'll be a missionary with the Fernandez in Pakistan, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, just get me out of here, get me out of this jam, or save this loved one of mine who has cancer, or just, just deliver me out of this situation. And the problem with that, and we all know it, even sometimes while we're doing it, that we don't really trust Him for who He is, and we don't just trust in His words, let go of the branch. No, I want you to get me out of here. We, want, we don't really want to obey Him in all things. And that's what this second sign is all about. If you want to get the idea of this sign, it's all about that story. Uh, it's all about trusting Jesus in times when we are desperate, and how we're tempted to just have a foxhole faith, or what John calls sign faith, faith in what he can do, but not faith in trusting him all times in all things with an obedient faith. So let's take a look at it and see a man who's hanging from a branch and who wants Jesus to save him. Look at John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. After the two days... He went forth from there into Galilee. 
For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country, and yet he's returning to his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water made the water wine. So here we're referencing the, se- the first miracle that we just studied last week. We're in the same place where that has occurred. And it says, And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. Capernaum was about 15 to 20 miles, about a day's walk away, but it would have been uphill going from the Sea of Galilee up to Cana. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into, into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for his son was at the point of death, desperate times. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And the royal official said to him, Sir, Come down before my child dies. He's like the guy on the branch. Is anybody up there? Help. So Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole household. This again, a, this is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he came out of Judea into Galilee into Cana. Now, from this passage, I want us to see three truths that will help us avoid the temptation to just seek signs from Jesus, to just get delivered from desperate times and not trust and seek the Savior at all times. And here's the first principle you want to see. And it's this. Desperate times tempt us to just seek signs. Desperate times tempt us to just seek signs rather than the Savior. And I want to show you, before we dive into this passage, there's one verse. Look at verse 43. It says, After the two days, he went forth from there. Where? Where did he come from? I want you to see this previous passage, verses 39 through 42, shows us that he was in, he was in Samaria of all places, the despised Samaritans, these half-breeds whose religion was a syncretism, a compromise. He was there in that place. And we're going to see, from looking at this passage, we're going to see that there's options in desperate times. And our options comes down to this. Are we going to put faith in Jesus just in his signs, his miracles? Or are we going to put our faith in the sovereign Savior, whether we get the miracle or not? Are we going to put our faith in him even when times aren't desperate? Okay, and so let's take a look at this. And let's look, first of all, the first thing I want you to notice is the surprising success 
of saving faith in Samaria. That's what he's say, referring to. He says, after two days. The reason Jesus stayed two days in Samaria was because there was such success there. Samaritans were turning to Jesus with a saving faith. And let's look at the passage and, and, and read it. It says, from that city, the city of Sychar in Samaria, Many of the Samaritans believed in him, but why did they believe in him? Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things I have done. So, when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they came because of the secondhand faith of the woman. They came, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. The reason Jesus was delayed for two days was because Samaritans wanted him. Not signs from him, they wanted him. And he stayed there two days. Now look at this. Many more believed because of what? Because of his words, not because of his wonders. He wasn't performing miracles, he was speaking the message of the gospel. And many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, now here's the power of it, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Now, we're not very far into the Gospel of John. We're only in chapter 4. But when we've read chapter 1, we know this is the purpose of the Gospel of John. In other words, these Samaritans already got it. They're in, you know, I mean, in relation to the book, they're in chapter 4 and they've already got it. Jesus is the Savior of the world. I want you to see two surprising observations. First, they believed in Jesus on the basis of his, of his words and not his wonders. There's no signs and wonders in this passage. It's just Jesus' words, and they were sufficient for their faith. And then notice, they begged Jesus to stay with them because of who he was, not because of what he did. They kept, it says, it, when it says they were asking him, it, 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 it's, it, the, the intensity is they kept on asking, come on, Jesus, stay with us, stay with us, stay with us. They wanted him and who he was, not just what he did. And they knew accurately who he was. Look again at verse 42. You are indeed the Savior of the world. Now, that is one option in desperate times. You can seek the one who performs the miracles rather than just the miracle. You can seek Him and want Him in your desperate times and not just deliverance from your desperate times. Now, we're going to contrast this surprising success in Samaria with an unwelcoming welcome in Galilee, which is Jesus' home country and which is Jewish area. Okay, So notice again verse 43. After two days of this surprising success of saving faith among Samaritans, he went forth from there into Galilee. And what does he get in Galilee? I want you to see this. He gets the unwelcoming welcome. An unwelcoming welcome of sign faith in Galilee. Look at verses 44 through 45. So after two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. And then you get these two very odd contrasting verses. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. 
Now, why would he go somewhere where he's not going to get any honor? So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Well, they're welcoming, but it's not really a welcome because they welcome him on the basis of what he would do, not who he is. Notice, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also had gone to the feast. So you see two observations again, two surprising observations. The first is this. Jesus knew he was a prophet without honor in his own country, but he goes back home anyway. Now, why would he do that? Why would he return to his country? I mean, here he's just been in Samaria, Samaria, and they are flocking to him, and they're believing in him, and they want him for who he is. And instead, he's going to go to his own people where he knows he's going to be dishonored and not really treated the way he deserves. Why did he do it? Well, very simply, this far in the Gospel of John, we know this. He was to, it was his father's will to be the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. It was the Father's will for him to go to his own and be rejected and to die on the cross so that he could be Savior of the world. Notice John 1, 11. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of will, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of God, will of man, but of God. In other words, he went to be rejected because he knew in being rejected he'd be crucified, and in being crucified he died for the sins of the world, he'd raise from the dead, and he'd be able to be the Savior of the world. And so what happens when he goes to his hometown is a prophet is without honor. The Galileans welcome him, but not with the honor he deserved. Why? Because they only welcome him for what he can do. He, they welcome him for signs, not because he's the Savior. And so that's why I call this an unwelcoming welcome. <laughs> you, ever been, uh, you ever know people liked you because of what you did for them instead of who you were? You ever had a friendship like that? How does it make you feel? About this big, right? And, and you, you're like, wow, you, you love me, but you don't really love me. You welcome me, but you're not really you don't want me, you want I, what I can do for you. Listen, if you don't like that and I don't like it, do you think Jesus likes it any better? And yet, how much do we come to him because of what he can do for us instead of who he is? And do we still follow him when he doesn't deliver us in desperate times, when we don't get the miracle we were asking for, and we love him anyway because we know he is worthy. Let me give you two, obser- uh, two uh, observations, or uh, that's the observation I want you to get. Why is this such a big deal? Why is this unwelcoming welcome such a big deal? And the, it's a big deal because an unwelcoming welcome is often an indication of unbelieving belief. All right? The Samaritans had saving faith in the Savior of the world. The Galileans had what I call sign faith in their hometown boy wonder. Woohoo! The boy wonder is here. I worked on that one. The, the boy wonder, hey, come on in, put on a show. We love you. That's sign faith. 
John already has warned his readers about the danger of signed faith versus saving faith. And so here's what I want you to see. The unbelieving belief. Uh, the unbelieving belief in signs instead of the Savior in Jerusalem. And to see this, we've got to go back to John chapter 2. So turn back to John chapter 2 and let's look at verses 23 through 25. This is what happened in Jerusalem. The Galileans... And in Jerusalem, they went down to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they were there, and here's what they all saw in Jerusalem. Listen to John 2, 23 through 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, so in chapter 4, they're pointing back to this. Many, many believed in his name. But what was the basis of their belief? Observing the signs which he was doing. Now, that's... Because the purpose of John is, I have selected these seven signs so you may believe. So this all sounds good, right? I mean, this sounds really good. Many believed in his name. That sounds like saving faith. There's only one problem. Verse 24 has a but in it. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. For he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So we've got two more surprising observations. Hang with me here. This sets up the whole, whole, whole miracle. Notice the first observation. Many believed in his name because of the signs he was doing. And it sounds like saving faith. The problem is the next two verses give a warning that this wasn't really saving faith. It was mere sign faith. Look at the next observation. Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was really in their heart. Now, are you ready for something really wild? Where it says Jesus did not entrust himself, that's the same word as believe. So, basically what John's saying is Jesus didn't believe in those who believed in Him. Now, that ought to freak you out. That ought to really freak you out. Jesus didn't believe in those who believed in Him. And the reason is they did not have saving faith in Him. They didn't believe in Him. What were they believing in Him? Help me out. What were His signs. And not the Savior. They were guy on the branch. I'll believe you if you get out of this, but if you tell me to let go, I'm, I can't trust you and your word enough to let go and let you work it out. We see this kind of unbelieving believing in the book of John. You cannot understand. If you don't understand, this belief that isn't belief. And listen, you say, is that important? Because you may have a belief that really isn't belief. You may have a belief that really isn't belief. And Jesus wants to warn you and me to not have that kind of belief because He doesn't believe in a certain kind of belief. He won't entrust Himself to it. We see this in John 6. We see it in the miracle of the bread. Remember, everybody believed in Jesus as long as the bread was coming. Keep the bread coming. We're your disciples. We'll follow you wherever you go. Where's the next meal, Jesus? Man, we love following you. Bring on the bread. And then Jesus turned to him one day and said, 
I am the bread of life. No more physical bread. I am the bread of life. And what did everybody do in John 6? Woo! They took off. They, they left. And so many of the crowd left that he turned to the twelve and said, Are you guys bugging out too? And what did, what did Peter say for him? They said, Hey, no one else. Where else? No one else has the words of life. You see, they trusted in the words of Jesus. You are the Christ. We're in it for you, not because of what you give us. Uh, in John 7, his brothers, who were unbelieving at this time, but they believed he made miracles. They said, hey, we're going down Jerusalem. You're going to go too? You ought to go and put on another show. And Jesus said, I do, I, I do my father's bidding, not your bidding. And so they take off for the feast, and then Jesus does go, and he does perform miracles. Why didn't he go when his brothers told him to go? Because the same reason he didn't do what Mary told him to say. Because he's a sovereign Savior, and he's not here to be our divine AT&T. He's not here to do miracles on our bidding. He's not here to get us out of jams and then not have us follow him as Savior and Lord. Wow. They wanted a half-brother who performed signs, but they didn't want a half-brother who was a sovereign Lord over their lives. So there are options in desperate times. You can have sign faith. Or you can have saving faith where you say, Lord, I'm going to trust your word whether I get the miracle or not. And the temptation is, and this is the third, the, now we're here back to the miracle. The temptation is always to seek signs in desperate times. The temptation is always to seek signs in desperate times. We are the man on the branch. Is anybody up there? I'm here, let go. Oh, is anybody else up here? Are you with me? Because in desperate times, when we ask God to deliver us, one of two things are going to happen. Either He's going to deliver us and we get out of the foxhole, and then we go on our merry way, right? Forgetting all the promises that we made to Him. Or we're in the foxhole and He doesn't give us the miracle, and then we have a choice. Are we still going to follow Him? Are we still going to believe in Him? Are we still going to trust Him? Because here's the thing. When you don't get your miracle in desperate times, it's Jesus saying, let go of the branch. You're like, but, I, but I'm not getting what I want. I'm not seeing the deliverance that I thought I need. I know, let go of the branch. Trust me and my word. I hope you're seeing this. You see, we're back now to John 4, 46 through 54. In this desperate, probably a servant or a servant, maybe a soldier, a high official in Herod's court in Capernaum. He has traveled uphill for a day, 15 to 20 miles, because his son is at home and he is dying. And he has heard... The reputation of Jesus. He has heard from others what Jesus could do. And so he comes and he finds the Lord. And he said, down with me. Come down. Because he had to travel back down to Cana. My boy is about to die. We don't know if this is a little boy or a 
a grown son. Because when you're a dad and a mom, it doesn't matter how old they are, right? When it's your kid that's on the point of death, you are desperate. And so he comes to Jesus and he says to him, he implores him. He keeps asking. It's, it's, the, it's the same idea. In Samaria, they kept asking him, stay with us. But this man's saying, come with me. Come with me and miracle. Why? Because my boy is at the point of death. And Jesus says to him, now look at verse 40, 48. Jesus says to him, he's speaking to the man. But what's radical is he speaks in the plural to everybody who was listening. And he says this, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. He is testing this man. And he's saying, are you here, are you here for a sign or for me as a Savior? And I'm telling you, just like I have to tell myself, that if you're in a desperate time, that's what Jesus is saying to you. He's saying, are you coming to me, Chris? For this or that deliverance? Or are you coming to me because of who I am? And are you going to trust me whether you get what you want? Because I'm ready to give you what you really, really need. But you got to trust me. Now, that's the idea. So, as we study this miracle... We're going to see this man overcome the obstacles to saving faith. We're going to see this guy's faith grow from being a shallow sign faith that just wants deliverance to a strong saving faith. And please put yourself in his shoes and ask yourself, what kind of faith do I have? And have I overcome the obstacles to having real saving faith? So let's walk through the miracle. Let's walk through this man's faith. The first kind of faith... The first, first obstacle to is secondhand faith. He had a secondhand faith. The news, and we see this in verses 46 and 47. The news of Jesus' miracle had made the rounds and reached the royal official in Capernaum. He heard from others. So like the Samaritans, the royal official had heard what others were saying about Jesus. And it was enough to get him to travel the 15 or 20 miles to Cana. So that's cool, but it's still secondhand faith. Secondhand faith can't save you. You see, you can't go to heaven just hearing about Jesus or borrowing someone else's faith as your own. Jesus asked the twelve an important question one day. Who do others say that I am? And then they rattled off the answers. But then Jesus asked the most important question that he wants to ask us today. Who do you and you and you say that Jesus is? You see, you can't get to heaven on your parents' coattails. You can't get to heaven by going to a a, a big church and, and big success. See, there's a lot of people that want the signs of success, but they're not really going to church for the Savior that can save them. And so this is secondhand faith. It's not saving faith. But his secondhand faith results in another kind of faith, and that is 
demanding faith. This gets in the way of saving faith too. Sign demanding faith. So he heard from others, hey, this guy can do miracles. And he thought, I need a miracle. I'm in a desperate situation. So in verses 47 and 48, he comes to Jesus and he signs. But here's the problem. You've got to put the whole passage into perspective now. Demanding signs dishonors the Savior. Demanding signs dishonors the sovereign Savior. It's kind of, you know, this is what the guy's doing. He's saying, Lord, do this. And boy, don't we do that in our prayer time a lot? Lord, I can't take you at your word, and I won't surrender my desperate situation to you unless you do what I want when I want it. But the official situation is so desperate, even though Jesus kind of rebukes him, just like he rebuked Mary, he rebukes everybody there by saying, you guys just won't believe unless you see a sign. This guy's so desperate, that he enters into another kind of faith that's still not saving faith, and he has a self-centered faith. A self-centered faith in verse 49. Jesus rebukes him, but he still says to him, the royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. You know, basically he's saying, you know, I know Jesus, you're like not into signs and everything, but I'm desperate. You know, basically, you know what he's saying? This is really cool. He's saying, Jesus, you can say what you want. And you can do what you want. But basically, I ain't leaving until you come with me. Because my son, the son of mine, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if this was his firstborn son. We don't know. But this son of mine is about to die. Come down with me. Come down with me. Now, that is still a self-centered faith. He's persistent. And and listen, desperate people always are. Are you with me? You know, when it's your desperate situation, I can still eat easily, live happily. I can be burdened for you. I can pray for you. But it's your desperate situation. But let me tell you, when it's mine, I'm wondering, why is anybody even going to work today? You know, why isn't everybody sitting in the hospital with me all the time? This is a desk. You know, it's my, right? And we get real self-centered. Am I the only one? Are, we, are, we, are you with me? It's all about my desperate situation. And here's the sad thing. Even though that's natural to all of us, here's the thing. That kind of self-centered faith asks for less than what Jesus can do in your life. Listen, he was asking for what? The physical life of his kid. And if Jesus gave it to him, what was he going to get back? His son for a limited amount of time. And then what would happen one day to that son? He was going to die. And without Jesus, he was going to die forever. He would have died eternally. Right? This guy's just thinking physical. He's just thinking what I want. But Jesus has greater concerns. He has concerns for the glory of God. He wants to do something for this this father that's beyond healing his son. Lead this man, his son, and his whole household to salvation. Isn't that cool? But there's another obstacle. But there's another obstacle. This man also had strong-willed faith. Look at verse 50. Again, strong-willed faith. 
Literally, what this guy says to Jesus is he's giving orders. And that sir there, could, it's, it's, the, it's the word for curious. It can also be master. Basically, he's saying, master, get down. Come down. Come down with me. This guy was a royal official. He was used to giving orders. He's desperate. And he has a strong will faith. Do what I want and do it now. And I'm telling you, the deeper our desperation, the stronger our will can become in these areas, right? Driven by desperation. Literally, he's giving orders to the sovereign Savior. Now listen, we're the same way. We say, listen, Lord, your servant speaks. When in fact, what we should be saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You see, faith is not about getting what we want from God as much as accepting from God the thing that He wants to give us. And that's a hard struggle. You see, the official says, You come! And Jesus says these wonderful life-giving words, No, you go, your son lives. Don't you love, see, do you see the battle of the wills? Lord, you come with me. And he says, no, you go without me because your son lives. How does the official, and, and let me say this, we'll get ahead in the story. The second he said your son lives, what had happened to the son? He lived. He lived. The man doesn't see it. The man can't know it apart from faith, but the moment he says Man, the son lives. And how does the official... Now, this is a wild miracle. How does the official respond? The man believed the word that Jesus spoke and he started off. In the light of our story, he let go of the branch. He let go of the branch. Did he know for sure? He didn't know for sure. All he had was what? The only assurance he had was Jesus' word. He let go of the branch, and he started back. As a result, the official begins the process of going from sign faith to saving faith, from a shallow belief in miracles from Jesus to a saving trust in Jesus. And so we see the second principle I want you to get from this passage. Desperate times call for saving faith, not mere sign faith. Desperate times call us to save faith, not mere sign faith. In your desperate times, I want to beg you today, don't settle for anything less than a saving faith in Jesus. Because here's the good news about saving faith. It gets the miracle, but more than that, it gets the Savior. It may not even get the miracle, but it will always get the greater miracle, which is eternal life. With Jesus Christ. You see, it's back to what Adrian Rogers says. Believe in miracles, but what? Trust in Jesus, okay? So let's look at the operation of saving faith. This is how saving faith operates at all times. Not just desperate times, but all times. This is the process. So you want to evaluate your faith in Jesus and say, are these the characteristics? Is this how my faith operates in Jesus in all times, not just desperate times? So let's take a look at it and see what it is. The first characteristic of saving faith in how it operates is it hears the words of Jesus. 
It hears the words, not just seeking signs and wonders. It doesn't just want miracles. It wants a message, a message from Jesus. And so this man, it wasn't until he heard the words, go, your son lives, that he really exercised his faith. Romans 10.14 tells us that without hearing, there is no no salvation. Romans 10.17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The, uh, The Samaritans, John makes much of the Samaritans believing in what? In the words of Jesus. So there is power in the spoken word. And so saving faith doesn't just see signs and believes in Jesus. Saving faith hears the gospel, hears the word of God being taught, hungers for the word of God, and its faith grows in hearing the word of God. You see, the entire miracle is about the power of the spoken word of Jesus. Just like the miracle in Canaan, water into wine, the miracle itself is kind of minor. I mean, you know, we think the whole passage is about the miracle, and all the miracle is, go, your son lives. We don't see the guy convulsing. You know, we don't see, there's no lights, there's no action, there's no camera. It's just real simple. Go, your son lives. And either you take him at his word or you don't. You see, regardless of how little life was in that boy's body and how great the disease, God's spoken word is greater. No matter how far away the sun was and how great the distance was, God's spoken word. That's why we pray for the Fernandez, because God's word can reach around a planet into Pakistan and make a difference. It doesn't matter how desperate your situation is. God's word is the power of God unto salvation. It's not the magic of the words. It's the sovereign Savior who graciously chooses to speak them. So the first step in saving faith is hear the word of Jesus. Second, believe the words of Jesus. You've got to believe the words, not just hear them. Many people heard Jesus spoke, speak in Jerusalem. Many people heard Jesus speak in Jerusalem, but very few actually believed in his words. See, saving faith is not just hearing the words of Jesus, but choosing to trust in them. Now, what's interesting about this miracle is this man believes twice in this miracle. He believes twice. One time it's sign faith, the second time it's saving faith, but it's always belief. It requires trusting Jesus. He doesn't argue. He doesn't refuse. He simply submits his mind, his will, and emotions. Jesus says, go, your son lives. And faith says, okay, I believe. I believe. But how do you know you have real belief? Look at the third characteristic. It obeys the word of Jesus, not just professing belief in them. Obeys. Does your faith hear the word, believe the word, and then obey the word. Saving faith proves it hears by believing and proves it believes by obeying. Now, we saw the same thing in relation to the first sign. Remember, Jesus rebuked Mary, and what did Mary do? Did she argue? No. She said, Do whatever he tells you. See, that's saving faith. 
Do whatever he tells you. And then when Jesus told the servants to draw the water out and fill the pots, what did they do? They obeyed. And the same thing's going on here. He says, go, and the guy quits saying, come down, and he says, okay, I'll go. And off he goes. He obeyed. Obedience is the fruit from the root of his faith. And the same thing is true. Listen, 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 listen. There's a lot of people in our country. There's a lot of people that say they believe in Jesus that don't obey his word. It doesn't impact their entertainment. It doesn't impact their lifestyle. It doesn't impact their pocketbook. There is, there is just not obedience. But they profess they believe. But saving faith obeys. Look at John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, it's a radical verse because he replaces belief with what? Obedience. Why? Because believing obeys and obeying is believing. Wow. Radical stuff. Fourth thing. Rests in the words of Jesus. Saving faith will rest in the words of Jesus versus having to see it to believe it. Again, I think that is so radical with this guy. He says, go, your son lives. Now, what happened? Did the air, did the air in Cana change? Did the sky turn dark? Was there any reason for him to believe that? No. He took Jesus at his word. Wow. A little later in John's Gospel, we're going to see a guy by the name of Thomas. Remember him? And they said, hey, we've seen the risen Lord. And what did old Thomas say? Unless I see the, the, the holes in his hands and his side, unless I put my finger in, unless I see it, I won't believe it. And Jesus graciously shows up and says, okay, Thomas, stick your fingers in. And you know what? Saving faith kicked in and he said, I don't think I need that anymore, my Lord and my God. And here's what Jesus said to him. Thomas, that's great. You have seen and you have believed. But blessed are those who do not see and yet believe because they are resting in who I am and what I have said. And so the royal official leaves after hearing, believing, obeying and resting in the life-giving words of Jesus, your son lives. And he heads down to back to him and his slaves are already heading back up because the son lived the moment Jesus said he lived. The fever left. And look at verse 53. So the father knew that it was at the hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and he himself believed, and his whole household. Now, wait a minute. He himself, I thought he already believed. Sign faith. Now he has saving faith. But guess what else he got? His whole family believes. This is the second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea. Don't miss the progression of this guy's faith. His initial faith is shallow and sign-believing. His final faith is saving and Savior-trusting. And here's what's cool about saving faith is it's contagious. 
it can lead others to a saving knowledge. And you see, saving faith got the greater miracle because it met the greater need. If he had settled for sign faith, all he would have gotten maybe... Because Jesus gives, faith, gives miracles to people with sign faith. He may have only gotten his son back physically, but because he trusted in Jesus for who he was, he got more than his son. He got eternal life with his whole family. So here's the final principle. Give the sovereign Savior the honor he deserves at all times. Give the sovereign Savior, give Jesus, the sovereign Lord, the honor he deserves all time. And that's a faith that trusts him even if you don't get the miracle. That's a faith that trusts him in the good times and the desperate times. Look at verse 54. This again is a second sign that Jesus performed when he came out of Judea. That takes us back first miracle and the purpose of the first miracle was to see the power the glory of Jesus and to believe Jesus. So here's the objectives. Here's what I want you to leave with today. Give the one who is powerful enough to prevent death and preserve life the honor that he's due. Remember, they didn't want to honor him because they didn't want to believe in who he was and who he was. Listen, with just a word, immediately, regardless of distance, In spite of mixed motives, Jesus can overcome all of that. And he can prevent death and preserve life. But, number two, give the one who is merciful enough to prevent eternal death by providing eternal life the honor that he's due. Jesus does the miracle even though the man didn't deserve it, but Jesus did more than the man even deserved. He gave him and his whole family eternal life. Is that just not the coolest thing? You see, the biggest miracle comes in that last sentence. He and his whole household believes. That's the greater need. That's the greater miracle. So, When life's desperate times tempt you to just seek Jesus for a miracle, I'm challenging you today, move beyond shallow sign faith to actual saving faith in Jesus as your powerful and merciful Savior at all times. And I want you to do three things today. I want you to do these three points of application. I don't write lightly. I spend much time writing the application points as the whole lesson. Because look at what it says. How is God trying to grow your faith during your present desperate times? We can look around here and we know there's desperate times. There's cancer. There's there's family issues. There's marital issues. Financial issues. And I'm saying to you, that Jesus loves you like he loved this man, and he's trying to grow your faith through your desperate times. And the question is, are you letting him do that? Are you submitting to it? Are you following? Are you, is your faith growing? And then secondly, has your faith progressed from a shallow faith that just seeks Jesus in desperate times to an actual saving faith in him as Savior and Lord at all times? You say, because listen, that sign faith is manifested in church attendance. There's people that won't darken the door of this church until there's a crisis. And then, baby, they are here. And that's okay, because that man came. And we should welcome them. But understand, 
That's sign faith, right? Desperate times, church attendance, right? But we can also attend church, and during the week, let me ask you, do you, is your, and again, we're all this way. I'm the same way. I've had to look at my own life this week. When we have desperate times, how's our prayer life go? But see, saving faith has a prayer life all the time. Are you with me? Do you pray all the time? And then finally, how does your life demonstrate the four characteristics of saving faith? Do people see you hearing, believing, obeying, and resting in Jesus' words all the time or just in desperate times? I don't know about you, but this, this is powerful stuff. It's really practical. Very practical. So in your desperate times, don't just seek signs. Don't just seek miracles. Seek the Savior. And then trust Him at all times. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come, and uh, boy, we can relate to so much of this. And Lord, I don't know the desperate times that are in this room right now, but there's probably many of them. And Father, I pray that you will grow faith. You will grow faith from a shallow, get me out of this jam, to a strong, saving faith that believes and is contagious and leads other people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, may we hear your word, believe it, obey it, and rest in it. And may our faith not be one that makes Jesus not want to believe in us. May our faith be one where he entrusts himself to us because we are truly entrusting ourselves to him. Father, deliver us, deliver us in our desperate times from the temptation to settle for anything less than saving faith in who you are. In Jesus' name, who is powerful and merciful, we pray. Amen. Amen. 